the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. You hire based on who you are. When you're in the jar, you can't see the label. And we have, look, we're trying to measure the biases of our potential employee, our candidate, and we have our own. So, you know, getting really good at what we're looking for, being aware of who we are and the mistakes we make that we bring to the table when we hire. Because our own biases affect what we're looking for and it affects what we think we hear and what we think we're seeing. Run your law firm the right way. The right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Tyson, my friend. How are you, brother? I'm good, man. I, I'm, I'm really excited. we got the conference coming up soon. We've got an awesome guest today. It tastes good. I had, a, I had a really rough deposition yesterday, but today's a new day, and I'm I'm using the Umansky method, method and flipping it like a pancake. So how are you doing? Good. I was worried a little bit about you last night. I know we had the tornadoes down in Jeff City. Did that get close to you in Columbia? Uh, I mean, there were some issues. I mean, it was it was close. There was it's kind of we we got lucky because everything was south of us by about eh, 20 miles and and north of us about 20 miles, and so we were in this nice ribbon that it didn't hit us, but it. It was enough where we were in the basement and the sirens were going off, but um, there's a lot of lot of de- lot of devastation and unfortunately it looks like some people may have lost their lives, but um, we were we were saved from that. So uh, I appreciate that. I'm glad. Well, our guest today is Jay Henderson. I've been following Jay for a really long time. I heard him speak once at a Ben Glass seminar and I thought he was terrific, and I've I've come across him off and on since then. He's uh, the head of Real Talent Hiring. He's going to talk to us today about all the mistakes that we make as lawyers uh, when we do our hiring and, and ways we can do better in hiring. Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. So, so Jay, talk a little bit about your story and how you got to, to do what you're doing now. Thank you for that. So, yeah, I, uh, let's see, I, I read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People a long time ago. My, I was in Jacksonville, Florida at the Jacksonville Landing. Um, off the St. John's River, walking through this little shop at, the, at this uh, St. John's Landing here, and and um, my dad saw this Seven Habits book, and and he had my father was a radio personality in Detroit for 25 years, and he did national radio and TV commercials, 
and Covey had once come to Detroit, where I grew up, and um, my dad emceed this little event that Covey did many, many years ago. And uh, so, so then my dad received these audio tapes of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People two years before the book was published. So we're walking through this place. We see this bookstore, and there's this, you know, cover of the Seven Habits book. And my dad buys himself two copies, and he buys me a copy. And I read that book, and I was absolutely hooked. And about two years later, I was working for Stephen Covey. Um, I had decided this is what I want to do with my life is teach these kinds of principles and help people perform at higher levels. And so um, one night living in Raleigh, North Carolina, fast forward a long time and a lot of life went by, right? I was living in Raleigh and I told my dad, hey, uh, you know what I think I want to do is I think I'm going to go work for Covey. And he said, great, you know, how are you going to do that? I said, well, I'm leaving tomorrow morning. <laughs> so I packed my car up. I quit my job. I was in college, and I was a waiter, so it's not like it was a difficult situation. But uh, And I drove across the country, and I, I got to working for Stephen R. Covey, and that was a great five-and-a-half-year run. And then um, I had learned about sports psychology, and I, was, I had always been interested in how people, you know, what makes people tick, you know, particularly how do people learn, and how do they translate that learning into functioning with it, into performing with it, and especially under pressure. And so I found out about sports psychology, and I became enamored with that topic and subject, and I've studied it for 30-some years. And so I found out that right down the road, literally like five miles up the road, was another training firm where they were teaching uh, Fortune 500 executives and, and managers and leaders how to coach other people to higher performance using sports psychology. And I was just, you know, over the moon. And I went to work for them right away. And uh, yeah, when I when, when when they hired me, they made me take this real weird, you know, uh, funky exercise uh, that, you know, um, that measured me, right, kind of like a job performance uh, assessment. So I, I went into the interview, the second interview with the CEO, and he knew me like the back of his hand. And that just blew my mind. And uh, I, anyway, I went to work for them. And it kind of that's kind of how I got all into all this stuff. Hey, talk to us a little bit about Stephen Covey. I mean, the, the Seven Habits and the spinoff book are books that have impacted me significantly. I've read The Seven Habits probably four times. And, and I, I think two of those times were on audio. So I can specifically remember... Uh, when I was a brand new lawyer walking around uh, exercising and listening to Stephen um, narrate that book. And just talk to us a little bit about him and why you think what he taught was so timeless and special and, and what it was like working with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was an amazing person, actually. Uh, you know, a lot of people in this industry, they sometimes people get into this industry because they kind of want to be famous or they just enjoy teaching maybe from the stage or what have you. And so they get their content um, and they, they have their, I'm going to call it a shtick, right? But Stephen was a guy that literally lived what he taught um, every day. And uh, it was impressive because he had that value-based alignment, which really, in my opinion, made him a very powerful person. I think that when we as people actually live our values, 
then we're way more powerful, authentic people with greater capacity to perform, and we're happier people. Anyway, I'm getting off a little bit. But Stephen was the kind of guy that lived um, what he taught. And I think it was, I like your word, timeless. You know, he would say that the material is timeless. It wasn't a braggadocio kind of a statement, but the point is it's based on principles. And principles never change. Like, for instance, he talked about, one example would be, I hope the words come back to me here. The, 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 so he talked about the difference. Here, here it is, the character ethic and compared to the personality ethic. In other words, like, you know, you can, you can wear the right clothes. You can say the right words. You can shake hands the right way. You can put on the charm, you know, sort of the, that's sort of the personality ethic piece. But that that would only get people so far, he used to teach. The character ethic was the deeper, more real, more authentic, uh, solid, reliable, long-term sort of way. And he used to talk about the importance of the character ethic. Not that there was no personality ethic. He certainly, right, believed, knew that. But that's just an example of the difference, you know, timeless principles, you know, like gravity. You know, if you happen to unfortunately step off the edge of a cliff, you're going to drop, and that's the way it is. And it doesn't change, and it never will. So rather than trying to live a life based on short-term um, short-term gains, short-term get-what-I-want-now, don't-pay-the-price personality, rather than paying the price and developing the character ethic to be the real deal. Those are some of the things I think about him. And that's what I think is so powerful, uh, why he was such a powerful person at the time that he came along, because his goal was literally to develop leaders who understood that if you, if you influence and you lead from the standpoint of principles that never change, that are reliable, um, you're going to build this really solid foundation and your, your capacity is going to be so great. He used to say that success is the ability to go anywhere and do anything and succeed. It's more than just, I built a successful X law firm. You know, I'm good at measuring how people think. It's, it's more than that. It's the ability to take your capacities and skills and go and do it everywhere all the time. You know, you talked but- about the the character ethic versus the personality ethic it's actually a really great segue into really kind of what I want to ask you about because years ago I did an internship at State Farm and it was there was there were twelve of us interns and it was a, a phenomenal internship and but there were a few bad eggs and you could tell that they did a really good job of presenting well at the interview and they 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 had I guess that really good personality ethic but once we started to really get into projects, they were just, I, I wouldn't call them terrible human beings, but I would say that they were, they were, aw- they were awful at times. So you've got this real talent hiring. And so for, for people that have not been to realtalenthiring.com, I recommend that you do it. Uh, I was telling Jay off air that before even knowing you and then or, or you scheduling this call with us, it, it, I'd gone to the website and I'd got a lot of great information from it. It's really amazing. But what are some ways? What, are there any tests or any? Are there any ways of figuring out if a if a candidate, a job candidate, 
has that character ethic that you're looking for and to, to sort of get around them fooling you with a really great personality ethic. Thank you, by the way, for your comments about my website. Um, you know, it's, it's, the answer is yes, but it's not easy, right? I mean, obviously, everyone struggles with hiring. First of all, not too many people, you know, people love the idea of scaling their firm and growing their practice, and we have to, don't we? I mean, the more we grow, the, the bigger our team has to get so we can perform the work we sold. Um, it is, it is, it is not easy. And, uh, we, speaking of character ethics, sometimes when we're interviewing, we are interviewing out of the personality ethic. And in other words, we're looking at the outside of the person, their looks, how well they articulate, how well they dress, maybe their resume, which they might have paid for and bought, um, and things like that, right? Where, to your point, we're trying to find that deeper level of, is it real? Uh, will they be consistent? Do they have good judgment? Will they perform under pressure? Will they be reliable? Can we get along with them? And all those kinds of questions, uh, to your point. So ways to do that in interviewing, um, it's not easy. So I recommend multiple interviews. I recommend, you know, you know stuff you hear a lot about, right? Multiple interviews. Take your time. Um, definitely use your intuition, but don't don't rely only on your intuition. Like an example would be if I've learned over 11 some years of helping attorneys make hiring decisions all day, every day, probably if your intuition is screaming at you to hire a person, don't listen to that. <laughs> um, that doesn't mean don't hire them. It just means, you know, just use that as a data point and go get more data. Okay. Um, but if your intuition is screaming at you, do not hire this person, then do listen to that. You know, my, my belief is that we get more intuition, and I'm going to call it inspiration, warning us not to go in a certain direction than we get telling us to go in a certain direction. But nevertheless, that's one of the things I think about, right? If you're trying to do your best, first of all, you know, have a have a standard, a goal that is never to accept subpar candidates. Never be in too much of a hurry. You know, never be never get yourself caught where you're tremendously under pressure so that you have to make a quick hiring decision based on personality. So take your time, lots of interviews, definitely do the re reference checks, even though sometimes they aren't helpful. And, you know, many times they will be. And you got to know what to look for, like tone of voice of the person you're speaking with. You might want to have data points already prepared when you do a reference check so that you can so that you can ask specific questions to a reference about a potential candidate. Right. So that you can get right at what are the challenges. And, and one of the big things I've learned is that um, everyone has talent. That's why I call my company Real Talent, right? Everyone has talent. The question is, is their talent being, can they access it or is it being blocked by their blocks, if you will? And that's the real issue. If a person has more blocks that block getting in their way than they do talent to overcome it, then we've got a problem, right? So anyway... Um, but it, it's so it's not easy, Tyson, to, to figure that out on that character ethic piece. But, you know, you're looking for 
the, the number one thing that I think we need to look for is the quality of a person's judgment. And that means, by that I mean, what they can do, they, how well they connect the dots. I'm not talking about intelligence. I'm talking about how well do they connect the dots between what's going on around them right now compared to what the impact of their work has to have on the future as well, combined with the people that are around them. They have the judgment to get along while they perform a task under pressure effectively, right, and do that consistently. And that, to me, is a function of judgment. Um, so those are a few things about it. Hopefully I've shared some good thoughts on that because those are the things that I think of. The, the biggest thing, Tyson, if I could, you know, is to get into why does the person want to work for you at your firm at this time in their life? Kind of like connecting how they're, what they want in the future, what do you want in two years, where do you want to be in five years? And how does the, then you're thinking to yourself, how does this role help them achieve that? You know, so that gets into why do we want, why do they want to be at our firm now? And I may not ask that directly, but I want to get after that. I want to get underneath that if I can. Um, and that leads to skills that most attorneys have, right? Which is, um, you know, questioning the witness, <laughs> not interrogating but effectively having the conversation and getting underneath their answers, not just taking their first answer to every interview question, but drilling down underneath those things with, with tone of curiosity, softening skills, that, you know, softening statements and things of that nature. Well, Jay, you just covered a, a whole lot of good content, and I, I, I want to revisit some of it. But one of the things that I struggle with, um, and, I, and I really appreciate what you said about if you get excited about a candidate not going hog wild, because I tend to think, oh, my God, this person's the best. They're going to be the most fantastic employee of all time. So that's that's good advice. But when it comes to hiring slowly, I appreciate what you say about never getting in a situation where you have to hire quickly. But it seems to me in the conversations I have with lots of lawyers that a lot of times we do find ourselves in those situations. Either somebody's been fired or somebody's left unexpectedly. So I guess how can we how can we prevent that from happening, and what should we do when it does actually happen? Okay, sure. So preventing it is become a an excellent coach of your team. Become a leader that pays attention to where people are and how they're performing. Look for indicators of stress or frustration or you know, too often, like we all have that, <laughs> but is it happening a lot? Um, then maybe some uh, retention interview, talking with your team consistently, each member, making connections where it's where it's appropriate to make connections, where, where you can still do your genius work and drive revenue and do what you need to do as a leader or owner. Um, but just being mindful of the, of the team. And uh, so on the prevention side, I think of things of, like that. And then, of course, we're going to get caught where it's out of our control, isn't it? So um, I think about things like, uh, do you have a page on your website that sells working for your firm? Um, are you consistently staying open to potential new hires 
even though right now you may not need one? Are you aware of the people around you that you run into every day uh, who you think might be a good fit for your firm? Um, because you never know when you're going to find an A player uh, that really could replace two, you know, C-level players. And I, I don't, I'm not a proponent of hire and fire left and right, drive turnover and don't worry about it at, at all. It's just way too expensive to practice your firm like that. But um, you never know who you're going to run into is the point. So always be open to accepting applications. Uh, market working for your firm. Be, be mindful of people you run into. Be as prepared to keep past resumes. You know, when you get caught, which we inevitably will, to your point, just, just you've got things like that that have helped you be prepared for it. So, Jay, should we, I mean, I want to make sure I understand you, and I, I don't think that your meeting always have job ads up and things like that, but maybe you do. So, should we constantly be putting up job job ads on Indeed and on our website and on social media? Is that something we should be doing, even though we're not quite hiring at the time? Is, how, how do you recommend that we deal with that as to always being open to accepting new hires? Yeah, I just mean if people are coming to you with, you know, they want a job, uh, be, be, be open there. Uh, I'm not saying have ads out all the time, you know, um, but if you have a process in place for accepting applications, you may decide to have ads out consistently. But, you know, but it, depending on the size of your firm, of course, right, it may not make any sense at all uh, to have ads available when you're not hiring, uh, given how much time compared to the amount of work that you've got to have to, to do. So, so uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I don't sort of teach that, but some firms, the size they are, may be doing that, may want to be doing that. Uh, so, but I do recommend, to, go ahead. No, I, and I'm, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, 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 I've got a follow-up to this, too, and you may, you may get to this, and so I completely apologize for cutting you off. But... So we, Jimmy and I get advice all the time. We hear people, lawyers have opinions about everything. And one of the things that they have opinions on is hiring and firing and job resumes and everything else. And one thing that we hear all the time is they, they, the lawyers will want to add these little stipulations into their, into their job ads and say things like, you know, you must put blank in your subject line. You must do X, Y, and Z. Do you have any opinion on, on people's use of, of doing things like that? Sure. So I'm a big I'm a big advocate for um, making people jump through hoops. However, I don't think it's necessary to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like we are in a high or a, a low unemployment uh, workforce dynamic right now. Um, it is changing what I see in the candidates that I'm reviewing. Um, in other words, sort of like there's a lot of great people that are already working right now. So maybe rather than an ad, we need to find people who are already working somewhere else who are unhappy. I'm not a, you know, I wouldn't say go out and steal a bunch of employees from other people, but, uh, just something to be mindful of. Okay. Um, so, uh, I think that just, I kind of lost your question now that I'm back to after saying that well you actually answered it i mean you you actually hit the nail on the head so no you, you answered it completely 
Oh, oh and you were talking about the screening piece. So, yeah, no, definitely do those things. Um, again, though, yeah, so I did answer, but the point is just make sure that, you know, you're accepting what's available, you know, because, you know, sometimes we might know it's someone that is, is not an ideal hire, but, I mean, if you've been looking for four months and your work is stacking up, you know, look, we just sometimes have to deal with what we can get. But I'm not a earlier. I said, you know, never hire subpar candidates. Um, but there are times when maybe you need to. Tough. All right, Jay. Let's step back for a minute because we're we're sort of bouncing around from topic to topic as it comes to hiring. Talk to us about coming up with a, a, an overarching approach to hiring. I know that you've talked about, you know, always have available spot or, you know, always be promoting your firm and, and having a spot on your website for that. But what does it look like for a law firm working with you and real talent hiring? How does it, how does it work and, and what kind of help can you give to people? So basically I have uh, two options that when people work with me, I, the way I got into this is like I mentioned before, I left Covey and I went to that other organization and they t had me take an assessment and, you know, that was many, many years ago. And still at this stage, very few people are aware of this particular assessment. It just has not become one of those big famous like DISC or Colby or Myers-Briggs and what have you. Um, but so the way I got into this is I measure how people think and how they make decisions. And 99% of the tools in this um, genre are behavior measures. And they're great in many ways, um, but I don't measure behavior. And I get underneath the behavior as to the reason for the behavior. And it's a deeper measure. It only takes like 15 minutes to complete this exercise. There are no questions. People cannot manipulate it. The thing is, though, the way I help is by measuring how people think and make decisions and then helping the boss understand exactly who that person is and what the risks the boss is going to face when they hire that person, among other things, the talents as well and things like that. And from that comes who they should hire and how do you get the best out of that person once you hire them. In addition, um, you know, I, I, give, I have a system that starts from the very beginning. You know, how do you prepare for the role? What is the role you're hiring for? Who exactly do you want in that role? It's like goal setting. So the more specific you can be, the more powerful you're going to be in the ability to find that person and see it and know it when you're in front of them. Um, you know, then you draw your from that who you're looking for. You write your ad because now you're writing an ad that is nailing the person that you're looking for. Then it's easier to find the people to collect the resumes and to screen. And I had one person go through my hiring system, a, an attorney in Chicago. He put an ad out for an attorney. He would normally get a pretty good amount of resumes in. I don't remember the number, but it was he was telling me he normally would get a lot. Well, he got two resumes. He was kind of worried. Um, but then he said, as I read over the resumes and dug into the background of these people, I realized they really were the perfect fit for the job. And what had happened was, because I took those steps you gave me and, and worked hard on them, um, it, really, it really worked. To, to, so I didn't have to go through 70 resumes or 30 resumes, right? 
and I was freaked out at first, but I had two resumes. Now the problem became which one of these two perfect fits, quote unquote, do I hire? Uh, and so if you, if you get into who you're looking for deeply, deeper than just the uh, responsibilities and duties of the job and tasks of the job, you want to get beyond that. You know, what kind of personality do you want them to have? What do you want them to be like? What background maybe was there? Um, and I, by the way, have a template form that if people want to reach out to me after the, you know, and ask for that, I'm, I'm happy to send that to you to make it easier for you to delineate who you're looking for in a given role. So again, you know, you, you delineate clearly who that is that you're looking for. And then and you can use people that have worked in that role before and um, try to gather more data that way, who you liked, who you didn't like, and why. Um, and then uh, you, you write the ad based on that, and then you can screen more powerfully. Your interviews will be better. And then you want to measure how people think and make decisions. Um, and you may also want to measure behavior in some way. You may also want to do a DISC or a Colby or Myers-Briggs. Many of my clients also do that. They don't necessarily need to, but it is more data. And hey, let's get all the data we can about a human being. And, and then let's be effective at onboarding those people um, by knowing, you know, who exactly we're dealing with so that we can communicate powerfully to train them the right way, to get them started on the right foot. And if we know them deeply, we'll know what to expect and what not to expect, which will help us manage our own experience and things like that. So it's kind of a whole process of here's what you ought to be doing. Here's the mistakes not to make. And then uh, let's make sure we measure, objectively measure the thinking so that we capture reliable data about the risk we face. Jay, you, you've got quite the uh, client list. It's, it's pretty impressive. Um, I, I think some, some people might have heard of a few of these. Uh, the Yankees, um, Sun, Hilton, AT&T, U.S. Air Force, Sprint, among a lot of others. I, I'm just curious. Um, I'm assuming that there's a, probably a common thread with all of us, whether it's a big company or a small firm, when it comes to hiring and mistakes and myths that we've got, that we have about hiring. Are there common myths that we bring to the table whenever we're looking to hire someone that, that, that are just completely false and that we should stop doing? Well, one is that we can use intuition and know who the right hire is. You know, a lot of people will say to me, you know, I've got a good gut. You know, I'm good at this. And they may, and they may, and I would never take that away from a person. Um, I'm a, I'm a believer in intuition. I can actually measure it. But anyway, um, you know, relying only on your gut, um, but remembering that you hire based on who you are. You know, when you're in the jar, you can't see the label. And we have, we're trying to measure the biases of our potential employee, our candidate, and we have our own. Um, so, you know, getting really good at what we're looking for, being aware of who we are and the mistakes we make that we bring to the table when we hire, because our own biases affect what we're looking for, and it affects what we think we hear and what we think we're seeing. Um, so some of the myths are that I can hire based on gut. I don't need to do any metrics. Um, that, you know, my own biases don't get in the way, uh, that because someone has done a job, this is a big one, because they've done a job successfully for someone else, even the same role, 
does not translate, by the way, into doing that job well for you. It may, but uh, but it doesn't guarantee it. And um, those would be some of the, the big ones uh, that I would that I would say. Uh, that's that's one of my great um, I, one of the things that I believe is that hiring people who've already done the job somewhere else is oftentimes a big headache, and that uh, I, I'd much rather have people who've never done it before and try to train them the way we like to do things. I mean, obviously you're going to make exceptions, but I think that's a, a great tip. Yeah, I'm I'm a believer in that as well. Um, and, and it depends on the person too. You know, if they've done it a lot for someone else, but they happen to be a very I don't know. I'd call it a flexible, not a dogmatic, stubborn person who can't change. <laughs> you know, and they're a more flexible, open person um, with the right thinking style. You know, it, it, then it can work as well, obviously. But uh, but I, I I like what you're saying. I a lot of my clients have a lot of success with that. You know, if you if you understand that the person has good judgment, and that they're going to be able to consistently make good decisions for and in behalf of you and your business over time and consistently. Then hey, um, you know it's a, it's an attitude, judgment, capacity thing is what you want to look for first, and they can be trained to perform. Jay, for my for my last question, um, I'm wondering, are there things that you notice in dealing with lawyers and people that run law firms in hiring that are different from other occupations? In other words, do we have sort of biases or predispositions to do certain things in the hiring process or thinking about HR that other people don't necessarily have? You know, I I really can't say, I can't say with any kind of validity that there, that there are, and I know you're not asking me to with perfect validity, but, but uh, as I think about that and I think about the different industries that I work in, um, you know, not really, but but then to be fair, once people come to me and they know that I'm—I don't want to say this the wrong way—but once they know what I can know, then they become very open. So their own biases, whatever they would be, you're right, attorney compared to dentist or doctor or Hilton or what have you, really doesn't affect as much because they become a lot more open. So it kind of, I think, it slants the answer to your question. Does that make any sense? Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see it really. I mean, my attorney clients are—they're awesome. I mean, they definitely are smart people who, um, you know, have a lot of skill and talent, and uh, and they and they they bring a lot of uh, questions, you know, um, but but not much different than others. So once they have the metrics in front of them, and that's what I'm always facing, so um, it kind of affects. It affects the dynamic a bit. All right, Jay. So we want to be respectful of your time. So I'm going to wrap things up. Before I do, I want to remind everyone to go to the Facebook group, get involved there. There's a lot of activity each and every day, people sharing great information. Um, and so check us out there. Uh, also, if you don't mind, give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Jimmy, what is your hack of the week? So for my, I'm going to throw my hack of the week out there, but I want to hear Jay's thoughts on it afterwards because it's, it's exactly on the issue that we've been talking about. Our hack is that for the last year and a half, whenever we hire someone, it's always a 30-day probationary period. And it's really been helpful for us 
most people do end up staying beyond the 30 days, but we've had, uh, I think, two people that we've hired in the last year and a half that didn't make it past the 30 days. And I think it's just a, a really good, long job interview is the way that I view it. And I think that it's been really helpful for us. I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Jay. Love the 30-day um, job interview piece. I, I do. Um, a lot of my clients, you know, they the way that the assessment that I use, they see that, you know, I preach it as a 90-day job interview without the 90 days because that's what you're going to get in the feedback. You're going to know exactly how they perform through that feedback. But I am I am a fan of people working for you over time. I think it's a smart thing to do. You know, in, in a 30-day review or some sort, two weeks, something like that. I really like that one, Jimmy. That's that's really good. I'm I'm probably gonna steal that one. So, all right, Jay. So we um, asked that our guests always give us a tip or a hack of the week. So, do you have a tip or a hack for us? Yeah, I mean, um, I guess I've said a lot of the things. You know, my my hack of the week probably would be to, uh, you know, do everything you can to keep your energy as high as possible, and to keep your attitude as positive as possible. And uh, if you have high energy and a positive attitude, you're going to more likely operate in a, you know, a zone of high performance, and you're going to bring a great deal more access of your potential to everything you do. And so if you can access your own potential and then uh, learn and work hard to access the potential of others around you, you can scale in a powerful way and build a team and a culture that is just phenomenal. Very good stuff. All right, so I'm going to stay with the hiring trend, and my tip of the week is with is to have an an onboarding process, whatever it might be. Um, we've what I've done is I've condensed all of our onboarding videos and all of our onboarding training, like the essentials that that each employee needs to have, into an onboarding document in Tetra, and then it's got links to to documents and to videos and things like that. And it's really we just hired a new person last week. And she's been going through that. It's probably, I don't know, 20, 25 hours of training. And then we mix that in with, with in-person training. So it's, it's a nice little mix. And it really has saved us a ton of time. So my, my advice is to do that. And if, if Jay, if you have anything to add to that, let me know. No, I think that's a big deal and very, very important. And um, that's great. Great hack. Got to do it. All right, Jay. So thank you so much for coming on. This has been great. I, we really do appreciate it. And hopefully people will check you out at realtalenthiring.com. Um, thank you so much. My pleasure. Love it. Thank you. Thanks, Jay. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, guys. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. The Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. Maximum Have a great week and catch you next time.